0: Tonight, the North Korean hackers going even further. This was just the
1: latest in a series of leaks. 143 million Americans, one of the largest cyber attacks in this country's history. Estimated losses from these breaches in excess of $20 billion.
0: Hello, and welcome back to Decrypted, a cybersecurity podcast for the everyday American. I'm your friendly neighborhood Cyberman, Jacob Basida, and I'm joined with my co-host,
1: Dayton Williams, the policy wonk behind Jacob's brilliance. Today's episode is about troll farms, sock puppets, and Russian bots. Man, I love cyber slang, don't you, Jacob? But don't worry, if you don't know these terms, you will soon.
0: So yes, we are in fact talking today about the seedy underworld of the internet, where anonymity e and retweets are powerful forces indeed.
1: But first, we need to take a step back and talk about a lawyer. By the name of Mueller. If you haven't been following the news surrounding the Russian investigation, we'll give you a quick recap.
0: Special Counsel Robert Mueller, former head of the FBI, has been tasked with the monumentally important job of investigating any links and or coordination between the Russian government and individuals associated with the campaign of President Donald Trump. As a special counsel, Mueller can issue subpoenas, maintain a staff of lawyers, and prosecute anyone over federal crimes, having anything to do with subverting American elections.
1: Basically, he's trying to figure out if our elections were tampered with, and if the current president's campaign had anything to do with it. And last month, he made a big move.
0: A federal grand jury has indicted 13 Russian nationals and three Russian entities for allegedly illegal interference in the 2016 presidential election. A Russian organization called the Internet Research Agency is accused of information warfare against the United States. Using online personas and social media to quote-unquote sow discord, in the American political system. The charges include conspiracy to defraud the United States, conspiracy to commit wire fraud, bank fraud, and aggregated identity theft. Many of the charges center on the use of at least half a dozen bank accounts to buy ads online or participate in political activism.
1: Yeah, and before we go on, let's talk a little bit about what this indictment really means. These people aren't going to American jails, are they, Jacob? They're not even in the United States, no. Yeah, and do you think Russia has any chance of sending these people to the United States for a fair trial? No. Yeah, me either. The Internet Research Agency is called a troll farm, and it's based in St. Petersburg, Russia. What's a troll farm? We've all heard the term of internet trolls before. Someone online who posts inflammatory content just to get a rise out of others. A troll farm is basically this, but on an industrial scale. A Russian oligarch by the name of Yevgeny Prigozhin has been tied to two companies that operate as troll farms, and at their height in 2016, they employed hundreds of people and had an estimated budget of $1.2 million a month.
0: The trolls waged a sophisticated and deliberate campaign of disinformation by impersonating Americans on social media sites like Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter.
1: But Jacob, it's just
0: Facebook comments. What's the big deal? It went a bit further than just commenting. Facebook reported that Russian trolls reached 126 million Facebook users and 20 million Instagram users. Even though it's illegal for foreigners to purchase political advertisements, $100,000 was spent on Facebook ads from June 2015 to May 2017 by Russian-linked disinformation sources. And even if the advertisements didn't persuade anyone, it definitely added to the confusion and anger of the election cycle which isn't good for our democratic institutions.
1: That's right, Jacob. And some of these ads that the Russians have posted are just wild. And I've definitely seen some of these in my Facebook feed. I want to point out one of my personal favorites, which I will now open on my own computer. It is a picture of Jesus Christ arm wrestling Satan. And the tagline is, Satan, if I win, Clinton wins. Jesus, not if I can help it. Press like to help Jesus win. Sponsored by Army of Jesus. It's like those old
0: like computer malware ads that are like Punch Saddam Hussein in the face.
1: Right, but then you look down and it has 30 shares and 97 likes. So there's definitely something here. But these were done on a massive scale.
0: Each Russian troll created dozens of upon dozens of fake media accounts and used that to leverage and manipulate others into reading their propaganda. Originally, troll factories were used in Russia to manipulate popular opinion. Young students were hired to write blog posts about Putin's Russia and Obama's America by pointing out flaws in the American system and praising Putin's regime.
1: One troll to IRA told the New York Times that everyone had a quota of at least 80 comments and 20 shares a day. These were used to boost blog posts and traffic for their message. They became mouthpieces of the government online, which is known as a sock puppet. This was moved onto American social media platforms during the election season.
0: Nowhere is this more significant and noticeable than in Russia's bot army.
1: What do you mean by bots? They have robots, Jacob?
0: Yeah, actually, that's basically what that means. Bot is just short for robot.
1: Oh, (laughs) thanks.
0: A Twitter bot is a type of software that controls a Twitter account via the Twitter API. API means the application programming interface. All of this is just a fancy way of saying a bot that runs a Twitter account. The bot software may automatically perform actions such as tweeting, retweeting, liking, following, unfollowing, or direct messaging other accounts. It's not very hard to make one either. There
1: are five-minute YouTube videos on it. And using bots on Twitter is nothing new. There are entire agencies that you can pay to boost your Twitter following, and Hollywood celebrities, politicians, they do it all the time. Russia's been doing that, too. Over the past few years, when there has been a tragedy or major political upheaval, Russian bots have been pouring gasoline onto the online discourse. Bots have flooded the gun debate following the Parkland shooting, made the Nunes memo about the FBI go viral by boosting hashtag release the memo, and according to Twitter, Russian bots retweeted Trump 10 times more than Clinton. Almost half a million times. That's pretty wild. What What is it possible to do about this? Anything? Well, currently Twitter, Facebook, and Google have been angling to increase moderators on their sites to remove bots and to counteract trolls. But unfortunately, it's really hard to rein in that behavior en masse, while also protecting speech, which is what makes these platforms important for our society in the first place. Facebook has also been toying with its algorithm to reduce... Fake news from being shared as easily.
0: So, you've likely heard the term fake news, and frankly, it's a term that we're not going to even try to def- uh, define here because, frankly, depending on who you ask, the term tends to mean something entirely different, kind of already showing how the perceptions of things play into what you view as fake news. Basically, what goes into this is if you're getting like a censored view of the internet. So, questions arise about freedom of speech or possibly censoring what you're able to see on the internet. You know, such as Facebook, let's say if it was curtailing certain articles, I mean, it could be used to actually stop something like quote unquote fake news. But it could also be being used to prevent certain opinions being expressed that Facebook just doesn't like. I'd like to also raise the question about what you're seeing right now, if it's really just the whole picture of the Internet. I would argue that in general, most people see a very biased view of the Internet entirely based around them. Everything you see is tailor and cookie cutter for yourself. I'm not just talking about ads, which obviously are intrusive and seem to know exactly what you've been looking at all the time. I'm also talking about things like where you go just in general on sites, and also who your friends are. For instance, I don't go to Nigerian chat rooms, despite all the emails I get promising me lots of money. This is a sort of self-selection into where you view on the internet. And so you have a kind of perception about certain things based on people that you're near and based on what you frequent. So it's kind of already a biased experience.
1: Yeah, it's definitely an echo chamber where you hear from people that agree with you and you don't hear from people who oppose you. So truth can be stretched. And the term fake news is also a little bit more politically charged internationally. Um, dictators and despots around the world have been starting to use the term fake news to delegitimize actual news sites. So I think using the term fake news is a little bit problematic in of itself. I mean, Jacob, you were talking about how if we stop using the term, we could, like, delegitimize it a little bit. The
0: term fake news has sort of two meanings, as we're saying. One is in reference to, quote-unquote, actual fake news, where an actual story is a lie. The other use is to delegitimize a news source that is true, usually by, like, an authoritarian government just calling things they don't like as fake news. By using the term to actually refer to real fake news... You confound the meaning of the word, and it makes it less applicable, makes it harder for people to understand what's actually being said.
1: Yeah, politics is speech, after all. It is. And politically, Congress can pass more transparency laws for online advertisements and social media. The U.S. can also impose harsher sanctions on Russia to respond to the disinformation. We could launch a disinformation campaign of our own, or we can even invest more in counterintelligence to defuse campaigns before they even begin. This also raises a question
0: about what exactly is going on right now. The indictment itself, as we've kind of showed, is not actually really have, doesn't really have that much teeth in terms of these Russian operatives. They're not going to face trial in a US court system. They're going to be in Russia. And if they're tried at all in Russia, probably won't amount to anything. But what exactly does the indictment mean? Well, I think it's a clear indication of a more assertive US policy in terms of cyberspace. I don't want to use the term cyber war because people send it, tend to also use that word a lot without it really meaning anything. But what exactly is going on here? It's clear that the US is trying to assert some degree of almost like a line in the sand about like what is acceptable behavior and what is not, and it's clearly indicating that this is an aggressive action. So we have this kind of ongoing cyber over cyber cold war. <laughs> we have yeah, we have a sort of cyber cold war going on between nations, and this war seems to be being waged a lot at least in the public eye, in terms of information and uh, public perception, it's it's hard to really say what draws the line there, because it's we're running into this conversation again about freedom of speech and what what is allowed and what isn't. I mean, clearly things like a foreign a foreign national buying political ads in the United States that's against the law, but how do you stop just people posting?
1: Right, and I think I don't think our public discourse has evolved to the point where we can really internalize what foreign influence can actually have on our own elections and on our own political discourse. Um, one of the things that I've read repeatedly in Russia, where the IRA has operated underneath um, the Putin's regime for, for years now, is that people will see it and they'll read it and they'll say, oh, well, this is obviously fake or this is obviously planted and they'll just move on. Whereas, as we've seen in this most recent election cycle, Americans aren't inoculated to that pattern yet. We kind of believe a lot of what we hear online.
0: Yeah, I'd say so. And again, this goes back into this... Like I was saying before, we you already have like a sort of balkanized internet. People stay within their respective spheres for the most part. So when an outsider kind of pops into your sphere, it you're not really suited well to deal with them because you kind of trust implicitly what you see normally. So when someone is kind of outside of that is coming in and feeding in misinformation,
1: you're probably going to buy that. And often these troll accounts that were used on Facebook were meant to represent American interest groups. There are groups that represented black lives matter. There were groups, there were groups that were called uh, United American Muslims and they all preached and they posted and people bought into it and they believed it. Did I tell you the story about the time that I, s- I found a, a fake Facebook account? No, please tell me. Okay. So I'm originally from Louisiana and I'm a big fan of the new Orleans saints, the football team. And they have a Facebook group, and I joined it, and it was called Who Dat Nation, you know? And um, it posted pics about football and, you know, the plays of the day and the Super Bowl and all this. And so the posts started to slowly change from being football posts to being, like, really, really hard-right conservative posts. Like, they were about, you know, Hillary Clinton being a murderer and Donald Trump being, like, the second coming of Jesus. Like, I cannot make this up. And I was like, wow, this, is, this took a right turn. This is, this is not comfortable in my sphere. And so I like unfollowed it and I like reported it, you know? And um, it's just wild that this can happen to any of us. And it's something that we can encounter every day when we open our phones or we go into our computers.
0: Yeah, I, uh, I ran into a similar situation with a thing called oyster crackers. <laughs> what is, oh, wait, what? Oyster crackers are a little biscuit you put in soup. Uh-huh, yeah. Just, like, you know, like... Like croutons. Yeah, yeah, basically. And there's, like, an official Oyster Crackers Facebook page. (laughs) You know, and then, then, you know, delicious Oyster Crackers, you know, you think, like, please, here, tell me about the health benefits of Oyster Crackers. Yeah, I mean, like, sometimes that page gets into, like, oddly enough, very political, decides to just jump right into the middle of the gun debate. You know, kind of a weird situation for Oyster Crackers to be really voicing its opinion on. So, yeah, I, I can understand that.
1: Yeah, yeah. So you think bots were operating on your Oyster your oyster Cracker fan page?
0: We'll never know. We'll <laughs> never know. That's the thing. So what's interesting here is we're talking a lot about big groups. We're talking about Russian trolls. We're talking about, frankly, organized groups. And I think at the heart of the story is the people with the most power that we're seeing are people with these new technical skills. There's a clear divide between people who understand technical and people who don't. And for the average person, their voice is kind of getting outweighed by these people with technical skills. I could make a Twitter post expressing my political beliefs and have that possibly retweeted a couple of times, probably two. If you I, haven- I, would, I would retweet, yeah. Oh, thank you. Um, but if I had a bot army, I could have that posted thousands and thousands of times, hundreds of thousands of times. Whose voice gets to be heard? It's really hard when you have someone who has kind of a stacked deck. And the people who have the most ability to do this are generally those with the most uh, computer infrastructure. And people like that are generally, you know, countries and things like that.
1: Right. And this kind of goes into that big dynamic of what a lot of people, like idealists, think of as social media as like a democratizing force as a way for people to spread their beliefs and spread their ideas and and spread at least en masse goodwill. Like you look at the Arab Spring and how like in Egypt and Tunisia... Um, where dictatorships were toppled because young people organized and made things happen. You see it with, with the most recent um, Parkland movement, you know, people organizing on social media and, and making positive change. And it's this double-edged sword where you can have this incredible potential for good and political motivation and, and people having their voices heard. And it can also be this, this cauldron of um, the talented and the nefarious taking advantage of the system.
0: Yeah, it's especially been the case. There was a lot of, especially in like the early 2000s, I'd say, there's a big overestimation about how technology would connect us. Mm. And as you're saying, as you're even pointing out, you know, there's a lot of good it could do. And I think people tend to focus on that without really realizing that technology is neutral in the conversation and could be used just as effectively for nefarious deeds as it is for things that benefit society. So moving back to our conversation, how do we deal with this problem? Well, investment into education would go a long way. For instance, how does one identify uh, fictitious news or a bot following your account?
1: Yeah, we, let's talk about that. This is an educational podcast, Jacob. Let's talk about protecting ourselves. Fake, fake news and, and how, how to spot it. it. Here are three quick questions to ask yourself to know if it's a Pulitzer Prize or all Pulitzer lies. So number one, who is writing this? When you see a
0: news article online, do some research on the organization that is writing it. If it's from a source you have never heard of, like Liberty Inquiries or Screaming Eagle Magazine, it might be fake news. A good resource is Snopes.com, which has a registry of known fake news sites. This goes for authors, too. Often, the person who is writing the article is entirely fictitious, even if there is a picture of the author next to the article. A fun and easy way to check if it's real is to reverse Google image search the profile picture. Grab and drop it into a search bar, or just right-click and hit Search This Image on Google. If it's a stock photo, that's a fake writer.
1: Next, ask yourself who or what could be sharing this. We just had this big discussion about bots and retweeting. And for Twitter, look at that account and look at their post history. What is the account's patterns of posting? If they post content all the time while following very few other accounts, they may be a bot. More than 50 posts a day is a little suspicious too. If their posts are all consistent retweeting of one or two other accounts, they're likely a bot boosting those accounts. Another example is an account with little to no post history and massive retweeter likes. If an account has 7 posts but 20,000 retweets, it's likely a bot. A few other quick things. Be wary of usernames that don't match profile pictures. Be wary of alphanumeric scrambles for account names. And also be wary of a lack of profile pictures. And lastly, why is it being shared?
0: Content in fake news is easy to spot once you add a layer of suspicion to everything you read online. Is there a flashy or ridiculous headline? Hillary Clinton confesses to being a Satanist, or Donald Trump scores 15 under par in a historic golf game. Try to read between the lines, and check the claims they make. The sources that are cited in fake news articles often don't lead to anything at all. A quick Google search can reveal that dates and specific details and stories may be stretched or wholesale lies. Consider your own biases and the biases of the shared content. But ultimately it's pretty hard, in a world that's frankly dominated by headlines, to do this, let alone read the article.
1: In conclusion, social media is great. It expands our capacity to reach others and share our ideas. But it's also a dangerous place where we can be influenced by someone we don't even know. So listeners, be careful and be cognizant of what you read and what you share.
0: Thank you for joining us this week for Decrypted. We apologize for the lack of a guest. This was a fairly relevant topic, and we really wanted to dive into
1: it a little bit more. Also, listeners, we have a website! That's right. Please don't go to SoundCloud anymore. No, no. Go to decryptedpodcast.com. That's D-C-R-Y-P-T-E-D podcast.com. You can also follow us on Twitter.
0: We're decryptedpodcast, or you can email us now and ask questions or suggest possible future topics at decryptedpodcast at gmail.com. That's d-c-r-y-p-t-e-d podcast at gmail.com. Decrypted is based upon work supported by the National Science Foundation under grant number 1433425 for the CyberCorps program at the George Washington University. Any opinions, findings, conclusions, or recommendations expressed in this material are those of the speakers and do not necessarily reflect the views of the National Science Foundation.